0: The People's Constitution The Path to Empowerment of Australians in a 21st Century Democracy by Bronwyn Kelly. Read by Bronwyn Kelly. Chapter 6, Part 2 Australia's Record of Abuse of Human Rights. Since the above mentioned executive statement was made in 1997, Australia has proceeded to make several of the fundamental rights and freedoms Australians used to enjoy illegal or inaccessible. As I noted in Chapter 1, between 2002 and 2021, Australian governments enacted more than 80 pieces of legislation limiting freedom of expression, freedom of assembly and protest, freedom of information, freedom of the press whistleblower protections, rights to open trial, rights not to be detained without charge, rights to privacy, and the public's right to know of possible misconduct and illegal conduct by elected parliamentarians and government officials. Citing national security as a justification, this legislative program was a full-on assault on powerless Australians and therefore on democracy itself since a democracy isn't a democracy if citizens have no civil and political powers or rights. The legislative programme reduced almost every right that had until then been assumed as a given by Australians under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. This situation has prevailed since the late 1990s, because there is nothing in the Constitution preventing the executive government from arbitrarily acting inconsistently with the commitment it has given on human rights. The Constitution allows executive governments to set aside obligations in international law and prevent challenges to its administrative decisions, regardless of the degree to which they infringe universal human rights. We have authorised ourselves to violate the international laws we have otherwise bound ourselves to. Some of those violations display an appalling inhumanity. An example I cited in Chapter 1 referred to the changes to the migration laws which allowed indefinite detention of adults and children. As the then President of the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission, John von Duser QC, noted at the time, quote, in the case of Al-Khateb v. Godwin in 2004, the High Court determined that amendments to the Migration Act did lawfully allow indefinite detention and that the Act was not unconstitutional. This ruling pertained even though the detention was recognised as arbitrary and contrary to Article 9 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. The Court held Parliament had sufficiently expressed its intention that children could be detained, notwithstanding that their detention ran foul of human rights principles, It is hard to think that we, or at least our parliaments, could sink lower than this, but migration is not the only area where Australia has refused to confer and observe universal human rights. In addition to the reservations mentioned above in relation to Articles 10, 14 and 20 under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, Australia employs a wide range of administrative policy and legislative mechanisms in denial of human rights. As such, Australia has received repeated adverse reports on its performance in human rights, both from the United Nations Human Rights Committee and the United Nations Human Rights Council, under the process known as the Universal Periodic Review, or UPR. The general tenor of the findings in these processes is that Australia consistently ignores the recommendations of the reviews and has persisted in denial of rights for decades. In the most recent periodic review report from the Human Rights Committee in relation to Australia's observance of rights and obligations as a state party to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, the committee made observations on the following principal matters of concern. 1. The fact that there is no comprehensive incorporating legislation enshrining the rights in domestic law. 2. Australia's repeated failure to implement procedures which would guarantee the rights of victims of human rights abuses to an effective remedy when there has been a violation of the Covenant. 3. The fact that, despite the introduction of the Human Rights Parliamentary Scrutiny Act 2011, which requires all new legislation to be accompanied by a statement of compatibility with human rights, and a joint parliamentary committee on human rights to scrutinise bills for incompatibility with human rights – Bills are still passed into law without the required reviews or with poor quality compatibility statements. Four, political attempts to discredit the work of the Australian Human Rights Commission in ways that might threaten its independence and the high public esteem in which it is held. Five, the haste with which some counter-terrorism measures have been adopted which unnecessarily restrict human rights in a manner disproportionate to the risk of terrorism. 6. The failure to review the compliance of counter-terrorism measures with the Covenant to check that any limitations of human rights for national security purposes serve legitimate government aims, are necessary and proportionate to those legitimate aims and are subject to appropriate safeguards. 7. 7. Reports of discrimination on the basis of ethnic, racial, cultural or religious background and a failure to prevent discrimination, incitement to racial violence and hate speech in accordance with Articles 19 and 20 of the Covenant. Eight, the persistence of violence against women and its disproportionate effects on Indigenous women and women with disabilities. Nine, the then still applicable... Explicit ban on same-sex marriage due to a Howard-era amendment of the Marriage Act 1961 to restrict equity of access for same-sex couples to the benefits and protections of the institution of marriage and the unacceptability of a plebiscite as a decision-making process on this issue. 10. Instances of the excessive use of force by police in denial of a wide range of human rights. A failure evident in the disproportionate incidence of Aboriginal deaths in custody and the increasing evidence of strip searching and other mistreatment of minors. 11. Prison overcrowding and failure to extend mental health care to prisoners, including by excessive use of solitary confinement and strip searching. 12. The significant over-representation of Indigenous Australians in prison and the need to implement recommendations of royal commissions which have not been implemented despite the passage of decades. 13. The extreme difficulties in obtaining native title and in obtaining compensation where native title has been extinguished or where Indigenous children have been stolen. 14. The fact that that the domestic legal framework governing extradition transfer or removal of non-citizens including asylum seekers and refugees does not afford full protection against refoulement 15 the unjustifiable claim by the Australian government that it does not have control over or legal responsibility for refugees arriving by sea when they are taken to offshore processing facilities funded by Australia such as Nauru and 16 the need to shut down offshore processing and protect the rights of all asylum seekers. The above list does not represent the full list of Australian government failures in observance of obligations we have freely accepted to protect human rights under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. And it does not touch on the litany of our failures to observe obligations under other covenants. Australian governments have submitted various distracting arguments to human rights committees at the UN and in other documentation in support of their case to deny human rights, but these have often been supported by plainly false statements. For instance, in official policy, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade attempts to extenuate the fact that Australia has no comprehensive incorporating legislation, that is, we have no charter enshrining human rights in our domestic law, by making the following entirely misleading policy statement. Although the Australian Constitution does not contain a Bill of Rights, it does contain five express guarantees of rights and immunities. These are the right to vote, section 41, protection against the acquisition of property on unjust terms, section 51.31, the right to trial by jury, section 80, freedom of religion, Section 116, and Prohibition of Discrimination on the Basis of State Residency, Section 117, This statement may be reasonably accurate with respect to the right to freedom of religion. That is probably our best protected human right under the current Constitution. But otherwise, this statement is culpably misleading in relation to the purported express guarantees, because... 1. The right to vote is not guaranteed at all. The very wording of Section 41 makes it apparent that the right to vote can be discontinued, as it is for prisoners, and as it can be on the grounds of race under Section 25, and as it probably can be when several other sections are invoked. The section only operates where a state law already allows a person to vote. High court decisions and other reviews such as the 1998 Constitutional Commission have made it clear that, quote, the Constitution does not guarantee a right to vote, unquote. And the Constitution does not guarantee voting consistent with the fundamentals of democratic suffrage, that is, that it be universal, equal and secret. Two, protection against the acquisition of property on unjust terms is not guaranteed. Section 5131 provides that any acquisition of property by the Commonwealth from a state or person must be made on just terms. But this does not apply for the territories, the High Court having ruled that it does not apply when the Commonwealth is making rules pursuant to Section 122, which grants plenary authority, that is, complete and absolute power, to the Commonwealth to make laws for any territory, and notably, Because much of the land subject to native title is in the Northern Territory, governments are likely to continue resisting extension of this right of just terms compensation to Northern Territorians. Three, trial by jury is not guaranteed. The wording of Section 80 offers this guarantee only for indictable offences against Commonwealth law, a guarantee that can be easily evaded by a declaration that an offence is not indictable. High court rulings have held that Section 80 is, quote, integral to the structure of government and to the distribution of judicial power, rather than being a right or privilege personal to the accused, unquote. And Section 80 is another of those guarantees that do not apply for Territorians. And four, prohibition of discrimination on the basis of state residency is not guaranteed. The wording of section 117 prohibits a state from discriminating against someone from another state, but does not oblige a state to refrain from discriminating against a resident of a territory. In fact, in all four of these cases, it is apparent that citizens of territories in Australia have fewer rights than citizens of states. This discrimination against Territorians is most obvious in the case of referendum votes inasmuch as the vote of a citizen registered on the electoral roll in a state counts twice towards the result, whereas the vote of a citizen registered on the electoral roll in a territory counts only once. This inequality arises from the fact that Section 128 of the Constitution requires that alterations to the Constitution can only be made if a double majority is achieved in favour of the change in a referendum, that is, the change must be approved by a majority of people voting nationwide and a majority of people in a majority of states. In other words, for a referendum to succeed, at least four of the six states must vote yes. Because the territories are not states under the Constitution, their citizens' votes are counted in the nationwide tally but are disregarded when it comes to determining whether a majority of states has been achieved. This relegates Territorians to second-class citizens in terms of the impact of their vote, a circumstance which is likely to reduce the chances of successful passage of a referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament. In the case of referendum questions relating to increasing Indigenous rights, it might be expected that the majority of Australians nationwide could vote yes, but the referendums could still fail because the votes of Territorians Do not count towards the second required majority, the majority of states. In this regard, and in several other ways, the principle of one vote, one value does not apply in Australia. Instead, inequality is inherent in our political system and it is reinforced in the Constitution. Given the looseness of the Constitution in terms of its capacity to prevent arbitrary abuses of human rights by governments, It should not be surprising that non-government organisations, NGOs, have identified ongoing failures to protect and affirm human rights in Australia. In 2020, 202 NGOs across Australia joined together to engage in coordinated development over submission to the Third Universal Periodic Review being conducted by the United Nations Human Rights Council. This is not to be confused with the Human Rights Committee review mentioned above, although the abuses and failures uncovered in both processes are not at odds with each other. Both processes uncover alarming failures which have been ongoing for years to decades. The NGO report in 2020, called Australia's Human Rights Scorecard, identified a number of failures, including the following. 1. The Constitution does not support self-determination and enables the Parliament to enact race-based legislation which is having particularly harmful effects on Indigenous Australians, non-whites, women, children, gender-diverse and disabled people and non-Christians. Two, Australia continues to fail to fully incorporate international human rights obligations into domestic law. Three, Australia has not compensated the members of the Stolen Generations in some jurisdictions. Four, Australia has failed to ratify key international human rights instruments, including conventions covering migrant workers and enforced disappearances. Five, Australia has not withdrawn reservations to existing ratifications and has not implemented a number of previous UPR and UN recommendations. Six, Australia has not adequately funded social and community services to underpin the realisation of human rights. Seven, mechanisms such as the cashless welfare or debit card and the community development program discriminate significantly against Indigenous people, for instance, in making them work for welfare payments and imposing a disproportionate number of penalties for non-compliance. Eight, legal arrangements for water rights and mineral rights severely impact the health, well-being, cultural cohesion and sustainability of Indigenous communities. Nine, the Native Title Act 1993 is fundamentally flawed, favours mining interests and is inconsistent with the principle of equality before the law. Ten, Australia remains the only former British colony without a treaty with its First Nations. 11. Asylum seekers, including children and stateless persons, remain subject to mandatory, indefinite and non-reviewable detention. Some people have been held in immigration detention for over 10 years. Since 2015, detention facilities have become more prison-like. Use of force has become commonplace. 12. Debate about population, national security and crime has seen a sharp rise in anti-immigration sentiment. Thirteen, Australia has not fulfilled its 2016 UPR commitment to use existing human rights mechanisms to report on and protect the rights of older persons, nor to include an older people section in their UN reports. Australia is largely disengaged from the open-ended working group on ageing. 14. A range of democratic freedoms have been withdrawn or reduced, such as rights to free speech and protest. 15. Legal assistance is wholly inadequate and the legal aid sector is underfunded. 16. A whole range of other abuses are noted relating to health, the prison system, policing, poverty, housing and homelessness, and conditions for workers. 17. Australia is failing to prevent human rights harms caused by climate change. Australia's emissions are increasing, its 2030 emission reduction target is inadequate, and it spends more money on supporting fossil fuels than climate action. Eighteen. Australia is failing to implement appropriate measures to ensure all persons have the capacity to adapt to climate change and provide a just transition for workers and communities. Nineteen. Australia is failing to ensure equity in climate action and ensure meaningful participation in decision making. And 20. Australia is failing to assist developing countries to mitigate and adapt to climate change. All up, Australia's record on human rights marks it out as a serial abuser of rights, not a supporter. But this can be reversed if we examine the causes. In the next section, I will set out some of the key factors that are causing the trend towards abuse of human rights by and in Australia.